Welcome to this MTech Access webinar. At MTech Access, we provide health economics and outcomes research and market access services from strategy through to implementation. Our unique NHS relationships guide and validate everything we do in the UK. We work with over 80 NHS associates to bring our pharmaceutical and medtech clients authentic insights into the NHS. We can help you answer key questions related to the NHS, from how to communicate with integrated care systems, places and primary care networks, to how to capture pathways of care. Get in touch today to discuss your market access goals. First though, I hope you enjoy the webinar. Good afternoon and welcome to the MTech Access Words of Wisdom webinar. I'm Tom Clark. I'm here for the last time to interview and to hand the baton over to Professor Phil Richardson. I've been running these webinars for two and a half years now, and it's time for a fresh perspective to help you continue to develop your understanding of the evolving health and care landscape. As we were preparing for today's session, there were so many topics that we could address, but one that jumped out was waiting. Over 7 million people are waiting for elective treatment, 69,000 waiting more than 62 days to start cancer treatment. And in October, over 43,000 patients had to wait for an admission from an emergency department following decision to admit. With strikes looming, winter starting and a rapidly advancing vacancy rate, what can be done to improve access to care? So Phil is perfectly placed to be able to walk us through this complex landscape. Until recently, the executive officer of the Dorset ICS, Phil has a passion for system thinking and innovation through data. Phil developed the ICS model and is well equipped to talk to the complex issue of waiting. Having chaired clinical strategy and transformation groups in Dorset, as well as having been gold command for Dorset's COVID response. Now MTech Access is Chair and Chief Innovation Officer. Phil looks forward to leading new conversations with you, our clients and NHS colleagues about how we can collectively overcome some of the significant challenges facing health and care in the UK. So Phil, it's great to be here having this conversation with you. Welcome. Uh, I've, I've given a bit of an introduction for you there, but could you, for the, for the audience, just give a, a bit of a broader introduction about yourself and um, how you come to be here? Great, thanks, Tom. And uh, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to join you on this webinar. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Phil Richardson. Um, as Tom said, I just recently joined MTech uh, in October. Uh, prior to that, I worked in the NHS uh, system in Dorset. Um, I started there uh, in 2014 with the responsibility of doing what was the NHS's first whole system reconfiguration. Uh, so this was right across primary care, secondary care, mental health, uh, the link through to tertiary care, and how we uh, connected through uh, part wider partners uh, in the local authorities with a specific focus on uh, social care and uh, developing relationships with the university sector as a whole. Uh, I, I started out with that particular program, uh, then moved on to take responsibility for digital, so as the SRO for digital across the patch, uh, looking at how we created the integrated care, shared care record, how we looked at population health management, uh, how we identified uh, the flow of data and the use of data and uh, how we started to look at uh, data solutions uh, at home. So our broad focus was uh, delivering care closer to home and that became uh, the digital. Uh, I then have uh, responsibility overall for commissioning uh, for urgent care and elective care specifically. So this was looking at the urgent care pathway pathway for people who had a need at home where they they believed they had an emergency and how did they connect right through to being in the right place for the right service so responsible for all of that uh, including the emergency response through COVID which uh, Tom has, uh, has just covered uh, and uh, elective care which uh, leads into the waiting list uh, and the broader conversation so that was my broad portfolio and underpinning that was a responsibility for innovation and research uh, and that became more and more critical as we went through uh, including the need to uh, set up a COVID vaccine response uh, service and the delivery of uh, research uh, around uh, one of the early vaccines that we used in COVID. 
So it's a it's a broad uh, it's a broad scope of responsibility across the patch. Sat as part, as Tom says, part of the executive team. I sat in the CCG, uh, but worked on an integrated uh, care system point of view. And the, working with colleagues in that system, uh, we developed one of the first um, STPs and went on to be one of the first three ICSs in the country, setting the template that's subsequently been used to set out uh, what an integrated care board and an integrated care system looks like. Fantastic. Thank Fantastic. you very much. So, from this point, obviously, we're all aware of kind of the integrated agenda. Could you just comment a little bit on how you see integrated care systems progressing and maybe a couple of examples of the, the kinds of things that you were involved in in Dorset? Yeah, of course. I, I, I think the, the the important bit, first of all, is, is to get to get an orientation around some of the language. Uh, so integrated care system is often used to mean uh, the what the NHS is doing and what the broader partners in a uh, geography are doing. Uh, the the new legislation is really helpful for that. So the so as a progress uh, in terms of just language, it's been really useful to get some clarity around an integrated care board which is the combined NHS effort managed through uh, an executive uh, structure with a chief exec and an integrated care partnership, which is led by an independent chair and partners around the table, one of which is the NHS. And those two uh, structures together create the integrated care system. Uh, so there is a good interplay now between the wider determinants of care, which uh, we all understand are critical to developing health and care strategies for uh, geography and then the NHS's specific role in how it delivers clinically led care in different settings. So I think that the, just progress generally in getting some structure around the language has been really important. Uh, I think focus on uh, patients, uh, whilst that's always been part of the conversation, uh, does get overtaken uh, from time to time by focus on activity, so counts number of people at certain places. And I'll touch on that later when we start to look at why are we waiting and then and start to look at that question. But I think the key thing uh, by focusing on patients and patients in a community, um, lang the language used again is a, a local neighbourhood which is part of a place and then a place is part of what is now a boundary around one of the 42 integrated care systems in England. Um, I think that really does set out a framework for uh, the focus of effort, whether that be workforce effort, funding effort, research effort, uh, change effort. Uh, I think that's really helpful. So I think I see that structure being the way forward. I fully support that uh, and uh, having been part of its genesis, really see that being uh, an important way of uh, going forward. And as a, as a result of that, people are working differently. Uh, the, the COVID pandemic, whilst uh, uh, horrendous in, in lots of different ways, did accelerate some of that for systems around the country. Uh, and I've seen much closer working where people less define themselves on the organisation they work for and more define themselves around the purpose that they're to help solve. Uh, so that's been really positive, particularly in the digital space, uh, particularly in uh, local authorities across uh, multiple disciplines, not only social care, working together, but also bringing police and fire around the table, uh, bringing the other public sector organisations, but also importantly the other public service organisations. So organisations that have a common uh, need, they're addressing a common public need, uh, whether they be charities, third sector, voluntary uh, organisations, uh, other commercial organisations, um, or other, as I say, public uh, sector organisations, all of those, all of those people are now round the table trying to solve things, and, and I think ICSs will start to emerge. Based, they're all at different levels of maturity. Uh, some having worked at this uh, for either much longer, or they've had a much more logical geographic boundary where the local authority, like Dorset, really quite nicely self-contained, where the the NHS boundary, the local authority boundaries, the, um, main, the police boundary um, and much of the fire boundary were, was all pretty coterminous. So that, that just makes it a lot easier to, to be organised rather than organisation. Uh, others have had um, split flows, so somewhere like Frimley where they flowed in three directions uh, with a hospital at the centre of all of that is it, um, 
is, is harder to manage, although Fribley has um, been particularly uh, uh, focused on making that work. Surrey's done the same thing. Manchester's had the same type challenge. Gloucester's had the same challenge. So there's, the, the, everybody's at a slightly different uh, stage of maturity. So I think thinking about ICSs as a whole probably um, is a bit misdirecting when you're thinking about what's the what is the ICS and its strategy. So uh, I think you need to really drop down a level to each one and find each is working differently. So if I look at things like um, innovation, um, the health foundations have funded four innovation hubs. One of, one of which is in Dorset, which says that's good for a centre of innovation. Uh, when they're looking at digital, Hampshire had um, focus on in investment in digital. So, so the ICSs themselves have got uh, centres where where they're becoming role models, or or at least centres of best practice, which are being shared out through others. So there's a there's a strategic play which is broadly what the ICS working, as I say, with the integrated care board and integrated care system. Then on top of that is there are specialist areas emerging in each of the ICSs, but the overall aim is for everybody to take um, the experience and the best practice that comes from that, but then tailor it to its local place. And I think population health management is a really good example where the concept is the same for everybody, but the application is different. So yeah. I, I think, Tom, coming back to your question, I think there, there will be thematically lots of things which are very similar. There'll be lots of things that look the same, but once you drill down, there'll be, uh, there'll be local differences, and there may well be some things which are very different. Uh, in in ICSs, but the but the in the the plan is is a good plan, yeah. and and what's being achieved so far in a quite a short period of time is um, is really phenomenal due to the effort of the uh, of the teams who are who are now leading this. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. And obviously, they're all they're all planning and developing at different rates, as you as you say. In terms of the challenges they're facing, again, there'll be some variation. But from your perspective, what what do you see as the key challenges that will impede patient care over the next six to 12 months or so? I think if we focus on the patient, and I think that's right, and, and, and I'd, I'd like to use the word patient to mean uh, any, any person, because there, there are people who are, um, who are not particularly patients right now, but they may need services going forward. So I'm just using patient as a generic term. I think that the challenge is, uh, around patient care is uh, how do we collectively become organized to make sure we get the right care in the right place at the right time with the right professional team or service or product sitting around it. And then coupled with that, we need to be clear on how that's all been achieved. I, I think lots of the challenges at the moment is uh, how, how do we access services, people knowing where to go. Uh, there are definitely some very big things which are obvious. Um, like a hospital is an obvious place to go to or a GP it might be an obvious place to go to. But, but I, as I look at the development of services and tools uh, and different interventions, for some people the first place to go to may be a self-service solution. So I think it's really been clear uh, for, for clear to people how, how that might work. And if you talk to uh, who work in the primary care space or in the um, emergency department or in social care or out in the community, there's a proportion of the people who engage with them who would be better off somewhere else doing something else to help uh, provide the, the optimum support. There, there are clearly mechanisms to, you know, if people end up in the wrong place, they get, they can get uh, moved somewhere else. But the sort of shuffling around element, um, that that's an that's an overhead or a burden on the system. That uh, if there was a, some clearer uh, ways of all being organised and people really understood how that works, then I think that would help. What it does mean, though, is that. Uh, we end up with um, congestion in our system, and so we end up with uh, waiting because there's such a lot of moving parts, some of which are obvious. We've all seen the headlines, the queues outside, uh, the uh, ambulance queues outside a hospital, uh, patients in a bed who, who don't have a clinical reason to be there, but may have other reasons, such as the need for uh, some level of support in the community or a complex needs so they need to move on to another setting of care or, or they're waiting for, for family 
uh, or uh, support networks to be available at home to support them, then all, all of those things uh, lead us to um, challenges in giving patients the care, the ideal version, which is where, where I started. And there are lots of things that um, are just a consequence, a bit like traffic congestion, and often the frustration that I'm sure we've all experienced at some point is getting to the front of the queue finally to see that there isn't anything there, which has been the cause for the reason why we're all, we've all been waiting or stuck. And, and sometimes that congestion is caused by a volume issue, lots of things happening at the same time. Sometimes it's happening due to uh, capability not being available. Sometimes it's due to a timing. Something it's, sometimes it's location, sometimes it's a quality issue, misunderstanding, gaps in comms, gaps in data, contradictions between policies and procedures between different parts of the system. All of those things play into providing the challenges that we've got. So I, I'm, I'm trying to really avoid a kind of tokenism answer, Tom. I'm trying to avoid if we just fixed it, it would all be fine. Because I think if we would all be fixed with the top three things, we would have pretty much cracked it already. Yeah. And I think the, the, the bit really to, I would like to, to uh, share with the audience is that the whole of the health and care space is extremely complicated because of all of the moving parts. If I think about my role in the CCG, we were probably managing about a thousand services, commissioning a thousand services, give or take. Um, all of them. Uh, uh, and changing groups and changing locations and changing settings of care. So, so there, isn't, um, there isn't an e easy fix, but I will touch on uh, later if, if we could, if when we talk about the waiting specifically, some of the, some of the areas I think collectively the, 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 the audience and the NHS and industry and academia um, can collectively get involved to, 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 make, uh, uh, to make a difference. But but the real the real bit is that um, I think the the threads that we we have a, as part of this uh, session is is about wait, waiting. Um, the the waiting in quite a lot of cases is not really waiting for for somebody to do something. It's a consequence of lots of the moving parts in the in the collective processes. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for really nicely summarised. And in in terms of that particular waiting bit, then obviously you've got that that view as a system leader of all the different component parts of, of an ICS and thinking about kind of that, I suppose, the ICP and that broader partnership. We've all seen ambulances outside uh, A&E and all of the kind of immediate implications of waiting. But thinking kind of from that broader system perspective, what are the impacts of increased weights for whatever services they might be? How does that play out at a system level? I, I think there's a few things that, that, that are at play here. One is, the, one is the immediate piece for the patient where um, something's been identified uh, as a need for them um, uh, and an expectation's been set that, that something will be done for suddenly that, that whatever it is not, not to then happen or not to happen as quickly as, it, the, as, ex, as expected or in some cases something different happens. Which, which wasn't what was set out as expectation. So I think that one of the real issues about uh, wait, waiting presents is that um, it, it's as a, as a consequence for the person and their expectations can be massively worrying. Um, and some of the work that we've looked at in Dorset, uh, if I take queues, is one aspect of waiting is, well, how long have I been in the queue? That, that question, whether, whether you're waiting for a GP appointment or you're waiting for an ambulance, or you're waiting for a procedure, or you're in a bed waiting to go from a, an acute hospital or a ter tertiary centre um, down, uh, down to another bed more locally, or they're waiting to go into a care home or a nursing home or, or a specialist dementia home, or you're going directly to home. Um, you're, you're waiting for something, you're waiting for an event or a series of events. Um, um, one of the issues of things not happening um, in, in a smooth way, uh, systems talk about flow, the flow of people to the different, to whatever they need next, whatever intervention or support or activity they need next. The, the, the energy and the flow really matters. So keeping the flow going is, um, it gives us the, 
the, the least impact, it's the least worst position. So somebody is waiting, but they are moving forward in the queue. I, I don't want to you know, you know, um, uh, devalue the conversation by talking about Disney, but the sense of you're, you're, you're waiting for a procedural experience and you can get a sense of you're moving towards it. You're not stuck without any information or without anything. So, so there's, re there's something around that. But, but there's, there's the visible bits we talk about, the, as I mentioned already, the ambulance, the queue, the bed or something. But the, there are other things that are waiting in the background. Um, GPs are waiting for results. Um, hospitals are waiting to get a letter approved to send out. Patients are waiting for a piece of equipment or they're waiting for a bed or they're waiting for somebody at home to agree that they're available to the help, help support. Or, or they're waiting for um, uh, a private nursing home to have a bed available or something. There's, there's a whole lot of other things which are more, which, which play into it. And it could be about the service hasn't been commissioned fully or it hasn't, it, it has never been commissioned, it's just become practice. Um, and now something new happens, so something needs to be commissioned. So waiting for a process to run or waiting for a product to be approved or waiting for research, research results to be available or a business case to be finalised, or some evaluation to come back, or, or in some, you know, if I take an extreme case, waiting for somebody to come in in the morning and unlock the door so they can go in and sit down and register to do something. So, so we have all of those different things, but the key thing about it from a system leadership point of view is you need flow, you need people's expectations managed, you need really good communications around that, you need to understand what the precursor was to the patient that you're seeing and what happens post you, where they, where they get where they go next, and understand how to connect that. You need to have signposting sitting uh, internally. And once you start broadening out, as, as I mentioned earlier, into the wider determinants of care, where, where in fact what you might want the person to do is to, um, is to do swimming or do cycling or be part of a gardening club or to be part of a reading group or to be part of a local community, you need a really effective way of engaging people in in that process too. Yeah, brilliant. And and kind of thinking from that system perspective, what's the impact? So if you took out all of that waiting and you've got the flow there, you've got patients moving through to the services they need, not need maybe not going elsewhere in the system because they're not getting to where they need. What's the the overall impact of taking that waiting out? It's not just that patient gets treated a bit a bit quicker, but how much of an impact does that have on all the other bits? Well, well there, there are, um, I'll give you a couple couple of examples. Uh, there are a number of people who are booked in for an appointment who don't show. They don't phone to explain, they don't get in touch afterwards, they just don't appear. And some of it, that might be, is they don't think they need it anymore. Some might be they've, they've got the date mixed up. Some maybe they've got stuck somewhere in traffic. But there's lots of different reasons. But as a direct result, there's a measurable bunch of people who don't uh, who don't appear for an appointment. The consequence from the system, though, is you've had to plan for that. So you've had to put resources into that place, which means you've had to make decisions about how you resource other places. So you're constantly working in uh, constraints. You have building constraints, you have material constraints, you have access to intervention constraints, uh, you have a workforce uh, constraint, you've got a planning constraint, planning consumption. So there's the operations leads in the various uh, settings of care are constantly replanning based on what the dynamics of, of, of what is happening and what their anticipation of what the flows are. The, the impact of that, though, from an overall system point of view is that You've got to be you've got to be thinking about how you can build flexibility in, but you are trying to do this at quite a large scale. And we've had historically uh, challenges in the past where we've had services we've had two we've got two hospitals historically in Dorset where services were delivered, um, but quite often people would need to be moved between the two services. So you've got a huge amount of ambulance transfer moving patients from one setting to another. But if you if you had a new design, a design which said actually let's get let's centralise the services for this particular type here, uh, and that's what the structure is for. Also, a major emergency centre on the Bournemouth site and a major plan centre on the Pool site, then you do less uh, you do less inter hospital transfer, and there's quite there's quite a bit of that grown up over time because systems um, structures have developed. Um, and particular areas that are primary care and secondary care and tertiary care and community care will develop their own approaches to things, but some of it just doesn't add up anymore. 
So I think that bit around, I think from a system point of view, um, the real challenge is who's looking at the box of the jigsaw lid. Yeah. Um, lots of people will need to be down in the pieces looking at right where who's got the corners and where's the sky and you know is it is it a sky or is it the sea or what in the picture so there's lots of people very competent in that space but you just keep to keep lifting up and say well, hang on a minute what is the what is the design what what are we what are, what's our intent how are we going to make some of this joined up and and, and that links through to um a piece i think uh, uh, about data which you you might want to you might want to touch on later but there's a there's a huge piece which is well who knows what mm. yeah, yeah. In, the, in a system yeah absolutely yeah and I was going to come on to that as you say Phil in, in terms of so for you as a system leader undoubtedly you've got people in running hospital services that know what their own waiting list is and how many people they need to see this week this month this year that's a fraction yeah. of what you as a system leader need to look at so what would you be looking at what, what data do you have access to to give you that fuller picture? What what is it that you'd want to understand about that? So I think I think data is really important in this, and I, and I, I'm sure you've had previous guests and and some in the future, and many of the national teams and people working in the digital space will talk about the really important part that data plays, and that's absolutely essential. I, I think the root of it is. Uh, is really about decision making. What decisions do we need to take, and then what data do we need to help us do that? And if I just give you a, a brief example, if we look at waiting times, the uh, the systems are very clear on who's in the waiting list, what are they waiting for, how long have they waited for, anything that might have happened to them in the meantime. Uh, they have all of that data, so it's very clear, right down to the individual, and they can identify the individual, and they can contact the individual, and that's the process they would use to bring them in, or change their time, or do something else. What, they, what data they don't have is what's happening to them in terms of their overall care in the meantime. So unless that person has presented somewhere else, so if somebody's been to a GP, been referred to a specialist in a hospital setting, the specialist said, I need you to come in for me to do something, um, uh, assuming diagnostics have happened, so a decision about what the procedure is going to be, they're then put on the list waiting for the procedure. What isn't tracked, because the data isn't set up that way, is what's happening to them in to the meantime. So the work that's been done, the Dorsets definitely do what other systems are doing, it is saying, well, the length of time somebody's been on the list may not be as important to the, um, the potential harm that's happening to them while they're waiting for something. So there are some clear things that we could all work out logically. If somebody's been referred to for an eye condition where the risk of the eye condition is eventually people will go blind, you can kind of figure out that if you leave them on a waiting list for a very long time, you're increasing the risk of them going blind. And that really makes no sense whatsoever from a, a quality point of view, from a harm point of view, from a patient point of view, from a professional point of view, and certainly not from a system point of view. You can kind of work that out. But the work um, that was done in the Dorset system identified for the people on the waiting list uh, uh, for Dorset is there was a real risk of hypertension that was undete undetected. There was a an increasing risk of hypertension. So at that point, you can start to say, right, that's really useful. That helps us make a decision. What are we now going to do? Okay, so we'll now do remote monitoring of hypertension. Okay, so how do we build that service in? How do we get that uh, implemented? How do we support it? And when we get the data back, we can use that to help us relook at the timing to say we need to move some people around or we need to do some intermediate help with um, with hypertension, whether it be a, um, a lifestyle uh, change or a lifestyle or a medication change or whether it's something that actually now is a real issue. We need to bring people in for some very specialized care. So, so that's an example the, where, where data, it's, it's too easy, I think, to talk about, we need data, data is really important, we need to do lots of data, and then everybody rushes off building databases and apps and analytics and dashboards, and you think, no, hang on a second, what is the problem we're trying to solve here? The problem we're trying to solve is, we've got a bunch of people who are somewhere in our system who might need something, how would we know what it was? And then once we know, how do we, how do we prioritize our effort to decision, another decision point? And then once we've got them in here, how do we check that uh, things are working the way we expected? So you've got a verification and a validation. So, so that that's a data that's a data piece which be is just as an example becomes really important. And I think of just sticking with the waiting lists. Uh, in a hospital, to done have done revalidation of waiting lists, 
and find that quite a lot of people, because they've been on it for a while, need either something else or don't need what they were set up to do. And I've certainly seen that in orthopedics, where, where somebody's on the list for an orthopedic operation, a surgical operation for a knee or a joint or something, <clears throat> um, a knee or a hip or something else. And actually, in time, they the, their situation has changed or their circumstances has changed or, or what they're or what they'd like to do has changed, and they may not then go through for surgery. But currently, from a planning point of view, you're planning for a, for a surgical workforce that can deal with a volume going through for surgical, whereas, in fact, you might actually have an intervention workforce, which is a, which is a therapy workforce. This is doing much more about um, uh, therapy development and th uh, therapeutic improvement, which is not surgical. So, so that that becomes really important from a system point of view, from a from data planning. You've also got meta level data, such as the increased um, number. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I keep using Dorset, but that's just my familiarity. But Dorset has an has a net import of over 65s, uh, and in the main has a healthy older population. So you have you need a different type of services as your population is getting older and it's getting older faster at the top end. So, so you end up with a with a skew in in the information you need, but lots yeah. of the data that exists already is is activity based data. So, how many how many beds, how many people, how many procedures, how many doctors we have, how many nurses, how many AHPs, how many? And whilst lots of that is relevant for some of the data, some of the questions that we need to ask are qualitative. Some of some of it is propensity. Some of it is layers of data. So. So great, great example again locally, which is here's our clinical data, here's our social care data, uh, here's our um, uh, societal uh, economic data. Now they're not directly re relational, you know, that one equals one equals one equals one. There's not that type of relation. But if you look at them as layers, and you look down through the top, you think, oh, hang on a second here. So we've got a frail population. We know that clinically. We know they're in an area of deprivation. We know that through the local authority data. We know that there's some level of social care, so we have that through social care groups. And we know there is um, there's issue around housing or unemployment or something else. So you can start to build a pattern and say, actually, from a health inequalities point of view, we need to do something about this particular cohort of people. But if you've broken it down to the individual data sets, you may never have spotted that. So I think yeah. that's, the, that's another really key thing. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. And, and so obviously we've, we've explored a little bit kind of what the challenges are and, and kind of how to understand them. Thinking forward then in, in terms of coming, coming to solutions and fixing some of these problems, sure. how would you classify some of the ways in which systems and their partners can approach some of these challenges um, caused by waiting? I think this is really hard to do. It's really hard to do because everybody is head down, working flat out to just try to keep the head above water with what's happening right now. And it's really hard because the, the flow of need or demand in the system is increasing. So it, it, it's, a, it, it's a really hard place to be. And, and everybody's drawing on, in the main, how they've responded to these type of pressures historically. But I think we're absolutely the end of coming in earlier, staying later and working harder. And, and frankly, I'm amazed just how people have managed to keep going and when they're running on fumes. And, and we see this day in, day out with people just doing extraordinary things. And you just think, well, how on earth did they manage to do that? I think it's unfair to continue that. I think it's um, it's unreasonable to expect that. And I think we need to do things differently. But the challenge in an environment where safety and quality and consistency important are important, it's very hard to then say, let's do some radical transformation. Let's do some really big change. So I think the way I would frame it is there, there are probably four major levers that we can move to help. There is definitely something around transformation and definitely something in certain areas which say, we should really be asking this question, do we need this service designed in this way at all? So we should be doing that. 
we should be looking at uh, digital and saying, how are things going to work as opposed to what IT system should I have or what app should I do or what website should I do or, or what dashboard should I have? We should stop having those conversations until we're really clear of what is the model that we're trying to run. What is the business model? What is the end-to-end -end process? Then what uh, data do we need to run that? run that business model we should be in that space and then how do we do all the clever tech stuff that sits underneath it so i think there's a digital space i think there's a research space which is um let's have a let's have a look at uh, what research we're doing right now what we're doing with universities what's happening with nihr what what we're doing nationally what's happening in the global stage uh, and we need to think about how we do that and i'd like to spend a bit more time on that later if i may and then finally, uh, we need to look at the innovation space. And innovation is, uh, for me, about getting an idea implemented that makes a difference for people. Uh, innovation is not about just generating a whole load of really interesting, cool things. Uh, and I see a huge amount of effort being put behind uh, broad investment in products and services where it's presented as, here is my really cool product. Um, how, how could we implement it? And you think, well, hang on a minute, we just started at the wrong end of the question. I, I don't know I have a problem yet, or what my problem is. So I can't tell you what the solution might be. And, and there are people already working in this, which are really, really, was really helping this conversation. So the HFMA, the, uh, um, the Health Finance, uh, Financial Managers Association, really nailed it for, when they talked about value makers and the focus on value. Um, and, and trying to move away from just driving out uh, efficiencies uh, really comes to the effectiveness question. What is the problem I'm trying to solve? Does this solve the problem? Can I solve the problem? Do I know how to solve the problem? Those questions are much better than we need to save 10% on this or we need to make this 10% more effective. And, and at the extreme, you know, the, the question for a hospital um, shouldn't be how do we get a slightly faster flow at the front door the question should be is the hospital the right answer for this thing we're trying to solve yeah so so there's something there's something about that so i think we need to we need to bring it we need to bring it back to um how, how to answer the challenges presented by waiting to see well what is the problem we're really trying to solve and the queue of ambulances isn't the problem it's the symptom of the problem so we need to understand that complexity and it is it's complicated rather than complex, because I think the, uh, if we call if we call it complex, I think that's really just a lack of understanding of how things work. So the simple understanding the complexity, um, but it is a bit about dropping down. And those four levers are the are the ones I think we can we can work out. The the answer is unlikely to be putting more money into something. Um, it's not going to have the same dramatic effect as uh, is thinking about what it is we're trying to solve and then investing appropriately in that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Phil. So, I mean, probably lots of people in the audience are looking to work with the NHS or working within the NHS to try and improve some of these situations. With those kind of four domains you've talked about, and I was going to say the complexity, but the, the complicatedness of of some of the challenges. How are those decisions made about what to focus on and which approach to take to try and yeah. solve some of those problems? I, I think I think the the key to this is the integrated care board. So this is the NHS uh, board who are responsible for the NHS in a um, in a local system. Uh, however, I would I, I I would counsel against thinking about um, the 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 different approaches or thinking about what what the priorities might be and I'm, i'll come back to why, why i've said that in in a second i i think the the approach that that is being followed nationally about mandating local systems to drive the model of care which is fit for their local population is the right thing to do and i think decisions will become clearer as that becomes more embedded i think it needs to take a focus away from um, counting activity, whilst that is important operationally for managing uh, performance changes, it, it doesn't actually drive outcomes. And I think we need to have a have systems which focus on making a difference. Am I making a difference for this community, for this group of people, for these patients at this point in time? So I think that's really important. 
I think work, working in partnership is also important with other stakeholders. This is not going to be done by one organization being the hero of the day. And, and I think it really comes back to industry too. I think industry, industry if we take about individual organizations, whether it be pharma, biotech, med tech, uh, service provision, I think they're going to really struggle if they want to come into an integrated care board and say, right, I'm here to help. What do you need? Uh, because two things, if I, uh, me in that role, I'd be thinking about, I've no idea what help I need, so I can't answer that question. And when you start in the, getting into the conversation, you say, well, actually, you can only offer a limited part of that because of the expertise you've got. So I'm, so I'm now not sure what to do with it because I've got a piece of a solution, but I'm holding the jigsaw box lid and I've no idea which group to put you in to help sort, you know, in the corners group or the sky group or the or whatever it is. So, so those things are really tri tricky. So we need to we need to lift it back and think about uh, how 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 we do as a team collectively rather than how we do as in, individuals. Um, and if I think about um, where, where do you start and how decisions are made, uh, I think decisions will definitely be taken at the integrated care board. But it's not in the interest of the integrated care board to take all the decisions it will be it's most effective if it can delegate the decisions down to where the problem is so that is where uh, place becomes really important and then that below place becomes the neighborhoods and what happens in a local neighborhood and that will be driven by population health management and how that fits to the broader health economics agenda so that's where the integrated care partnership comes in because it will say this is what i'm on as a strategy and the NHS will say, well, this is how I deliver my part of the strategy. And then this is what local place will say. And then neighborhoods underneath it will say, right, well, this is how we, this is how we make it work. So decisions right really at the point of need, which makes makes more sense. You, you want the decision makers next to the customers. You don't want the decision makers three or four layers away from it, getting three or four layers away type summarized data, which isn't really um, focused on the what's happening um, in the local place. But if I think about what I was dealing with before, you know, I'd be a regular part of the conversation what the priorities are, and, and we'd had about 500. We had about 500 priorities, which were a consequence of national policy, regional programs, local need, individual organizations, professional focus, day-to-day uh, -day programs, um, initiatives that have been run over, funding that come in from somewhere that all have to do something by a certain date. Um, so that, so there, there is a real complicated decision making as well. And I think uh, trying to summarize it down into an executive summary for a board, if you are, a, say, a pharmaceutical company, will be nigh on impossible because you, you're going to have to try and distill that down. But if you look at the big handfuls of things where you could work collectively as part of a common solution, I think that will be uh, much more, uh, much more relevant. So much better focus on the ways of working, common approaches, common language, what we mean by outcomes, what a person wants, change in leadership approach to leader, leader, rather than leader follower, um, or command and control, co-production with the local community. They all become uh, really important in decision making. And, and at the end of the day, really, we, we, want the, we want the wisdom of the crowd involved in the decision making uh because individual expertise really only gives us suboptimal answer mm. so am i taking from that if i can play it back to you that there isn't there's nothing in particular that you think if company x or organization y could bring me this information this data this solution that's going to accelerate things actually what you want to do is as a system leader is start from that point of okay well everyone that's got an interest let's sit down understand the challenge and then start to create the, the solutions yeah, I think I think that would be I think that'd be the ideal, Tom. But I think in practice it's going to be impossible to do it that way, because in my previous role I just don't have time to talk to everybody. I I couldn't I couldn't just uh, get get people uh, in play to m make it sensible. And I think that's one of the things that attracts me about joining the M, M Tech Access team is that I think an organisation like M Tech Access does have that skill set. So it has has that ability to understand what the ICS need is, who the key players are, what challenges they've got locally, and understands um, how uh, pharma, biotech, medtech industries work, and what the strengths and weaknesses of individual organisations are. 
and I, and I think there's that uh, that that brokering type solution which you and I've talked about in the past, <clears throat> which just helps get the join up and takes away the um, the rush the rush through the eye of the needle, which is the big risk here with integrated care boards. There are only 242 chief execs. There are probably 5,000 people who want to talk to them. They've still got to deliver their treatment rates, their their delivery rates, their their uh, their GP. Um, access rate. So they have all of that to deal with. They're just really not going to give their time to thousands of people wanting to come through. But I think if we could do it in a in a managed way that was that, that was um, open as a as a combination, I think that feels to me like a good way of trying to uh, to make that work. But but I've certainly had approaches in in my previous role from senior people in in pharmaceutical companies, particularly who said, what can we do to help? And I really haven't been able to be useful to them in that question, because I don't know, apart from some immediate knee-jerk type things, well, I could really do with some data scientists or a business analyst or a project manager or somebody who's got some sort of clue about ophthalmology. I get that. But, but that, really under, that really undermines what, what, what a pharma company can really offer. And, and I think the bit, the, bit really, the bit for me would be that interface between the two different worlds who are coming at it with a slightly different language and different focus and different points of view um, I think that would be really helpful I think the other challenge in that in that space is uh, to touch on it earlier is, um, is is finding a way to back from a product centered view of the world so I've definitely had people talk to me about a particular product or make it easier for patients or do something all of it is valid from a product argument point of view, but in my context of trying to manage a big thing, it's a marginal benefit. <clears throat> but, it, but if there was a cluster of um, organisations focus on the setting of care, the pathways, the how I might be able to move people from a hospital to a care home setting if that's appropriate for them, or to a home setting, or how I might support it from a data analytics point of view, or how I might be able to do better decision making, then that's very attractive. But, but my experience was individual organizations could only solve a piece of that. So I think it's the, it's the team. How do we get the right team together for a part of the ICS that's trying to struggle with, with a certain area? It may well end up being a therapeutic space, and then we just will collectively have to figure out how to make that work. But, but I, think, I think in the main, if we can get the horsepower collectively focused on the on the root cause problems, not the almost the rhetoric around the symptoms, then 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 I think some real magic could happen. Yeah, fantastic. So, in a world where you've kind of landed on an area, a decision, this is a this is something as a system that we need to fix, solve for whatever the languages you want to use. What's needed as a system leader or as a set of system leaders to actually gain traction to drive that change and engage everyone in it and, and, and see the outcomes at the end of that piece? Yeah, well, I think there's a few parts of that. I think the having the right stakeholders in the room are important. Having the right people who are sitting uh, behind championing the this is the right thing to do. Um, I think having a focus on purpose if you can get alignment on purpose so everybody's in the room to achieve the same purpose although they may not necessarily agree how um i think that is really really positive but but i think the, the big things that we need to collectively look at is you know how do we get people home safely how can we keep them at home how can we reduce the number of people who need help in the first place how can we make it easier for staff to do their jobs how do we take a step out of a process how do we remove a pathway how do we remove a service? You know, the ultimate, how do we remove a setting? You know, do, do we still need cottage hospitals question when actually community-based hubs doing services that 90% of the population get their service through a hub in the community and don't need to go to a, an acute setting? You know, those type of things, how do we get how do we get that? Because there are constraints that do exist. I've touched on some of them. There are some specialty constraints, such as uh, data science, project management, business analysts, health yeah. economics, business creation. There's kind of a whole load of functional expertise that, um, that I think could really help with system-wide change. Uh, and I sort of 
you know, jealously look uh, back at what I've now got access through the with with Entex access. I think, blimey, if I'd had this level of um, you know analysis and deep research and health economics, and I had the then the horsepower that industry can offer, and and then particularly bring in academia, which I think got a really really key role to play in this. And then I could just shuffle it all around a little bit and then put it into a into an ICS program of work. I think, you know, as I said, magic could happen, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. You, you mentioned academia there and you, you were talking about research earlier. Can you just expand on kind of how you see academia and research playing in a bit more? Because that's probably an area that our audience might okay. think of less, I suppose, when we think about some of these challenges. So, so I think I've, I've sort of concluded with I think academia is really important, but I, I, I think it's good to ask Tom because I, I need to I think explain why. The, the whole of the academia, and I'm thinking broadly, I'm thinking universities, I'm thinking um, uh, further education colleges, uh, I'm thinking the uh, upstream back into schools, uh, and then think of uh, coming out further into think tanks uh, and opinion. Uh, places uh, such as the King's Fund and Nuffield and Gartner and others. I, I think if you start to look at that uh, academia across that broad uh, that broad range of things, um, I think it's got a massive role to play. But if I go back to uh, what I've done previously, so I was previously on the Academic Health Science Network board for Wessex and I chaired the Applied Research Collaborative for the NIHR, National Institute for Health Research. So I had those two roles, I set those two roles, and I was sitting substantively in my system role, um, and it took some time to orientate the academic input into the need of the system, uh, because academia is typically starting with uh, attracting students, which is obviously uh, key, uh, as income is uh, aligned to that, but also uh, driving research, which is of interest to the academics and has a funding source through ESPRC or somewhere else who's prepared to in, uh, invest funding, grant funding into it. So the uh, incentives are clearly not aligned to an NHS incentive, which is uh, providing uh, care for a person. But actually, the purpose is the same. How can we do things better for patients, whether it's through social care research or um, economic research or clinical research or socio-economic or psychosocial or some other broad area of research. So having alignment really mattered there. So academia who can shift their the viewpoints to look specifically at what challenges exist in the system, what challenges will exist for the system in the future, what the what the direction of travel is and what uh, people are going to do both through so through the macro level, such as sociology, technology, uh, through the changes in legal system, all of those things, if academia are engaged in that, then it made a massive difference. And I certainly found with the AHSN, um, that was really well placed to do that, but also the ARC moving to have a system alignment really helped change what was coming through, um, and, and that made a difference. So there's a direct application through to uh, innovation around services, innovation around management and management practices and innovation around practice, whether it be clinical practice or social practice or uh, well-being practice in its broad, broader sense. So academia has a really key role to play in that. But it's also academia is by its very nature focused on education and training and development. So, so I think we need a way for the workforce, for academia to create a fit for purpose workforce. So we need to work with them and really close, close coupled so that as people are working, they're learning, and we've got that cycle of continual learning, uh, and I'm sure lots of people sign up to that, but it's very hard to make it work when you tend to have those two things separate as solutions. So how do we bring that more closely together? So I think getting that clear alignment where we're all facing, walking, um, and working in the same direction, um, and I think academia's got a role to, role to play. Yeah, fantastic. So you just see academia as another partner in that in that system collaboration to be another another piece of the pie, so that actually there aren't any gaps, and that when it comes to those absolutely. those capabilities, that's all plugged. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's all part of the team to solve the problem. It's a different set of expertise and capability and capacity, but absolutely uh, all part of the team, and it's an essential part of the team. And if we get the relationship with academia wrong, 
then we won't have a fit for purpose workforce. We'll be churning out what we needed in the past, not what we need in the future. We need clinicians coming out who are digitally enabled and are research skilled. Um, we need people doing continual learning. So there's that continual mentoring piece. So I think, you know, really, really key. And that's not just in, in the NHS itself, but it's in, you know, everybody on this call, I, I would imagine, uh, would, would need to be part part of that. And, and then for academia, need to be closer coupled with, well, what are the needs then? What's the pressure? What is the problem you're trying to solve? Because I'm going to be able to help you do that. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. So from everything we've talked about and probably other things as well, what, what would you say are key takeaways for our audience in, in terms of how they can support the NHS, sustain and reduce the amount of waiting going on? I, I think the first thing is everybody has a role to play. So it's not can we help, it is you can help, but we just need to figure out what their help is. I, I think each business needs to be clear, whether it's um, an industry partner or an NHS organisation or an academic institution, needs to be really clear on what it offers. And offering, offering help isn't an offer um, because you're expecting then the people you're talking to to figure out how, what help you need. So you really be clear on your offer in how it would work with others. Um, there needs to be alignment between systems and what is offered, so that clearly needs to happen. And, and if I think about the, you know, the new world I'm in, it, it's, um, it's a market access question. Uh, and so we need to do, you need to understand your research, you need to understand your capabilities, you need to understand who you could work with in partnership, you need to understand what your value proposition is, you need to be clear who the stakeholders are. So it's all the world that, that everybody is familiar with if you're if you're currently listening from a pharma or a tech medtech type organization uh, if you're working from academia it's a similar thing it is you know how do you attract funding how do you do the pitch what's a bid what's that you see so you kind of need to get your head around those things um and i and i think it's it's how it's get getting some help around it you know getting some some of the people tom in your team know how to do this get, getting those type of people around the table and saying right, we can help you figure some of this out and then we can help you connect others together who've got similar ambitions and then we can get the right people in the room and then you're into the co-production, collaboration, co-development and you're no longer asking the question about how you can help. You're really you're really churning through what your core capabilities and skills are in this space, whether it's a functional one, a digital um, or uh, data science or, or BA or something like that or whether it's a uh, just intellectual horsepower, which is, well, hang on, I'm, I'm really good at problem solving. Let me be part of the team, which is problem solving, or whether it's facilitation, whatever it is. So, so I think if I do, that, that's really, you need to do that. You need to do a bit of self-analysis on, you know, what's your offer. And I think coming back to um, where I started with, you know, why are we waiting, which was the broad theme of this. And whilst I can see there are policy, political, practical changes needed, people changing behaviours and all sorts of things that need to happen. I, I, I come back to the four levers. Yeah, can you get broadly behind a research idea, broadly behind an innovation idea, broadly behind a digital idea, broadly behind a transformation idea? Think about those levers and, and then start the conversation around that. I think, I think that for me would be the takeaways, uh, Tom. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much, Phil. Really enjoyed our conversation today, so thank you very much for that. Uh, and a big thank you from me to the audience as well for uh, following over the last couple of years. As I mentioned at the outset, I'm handing over to Phil now, who is going to pick up running the, the webinars from this point forward. So uh, again, thank you from me. I'm just going to hand over to Phil now just to, to say a few words about what to expect um, in the future. Great, Tom. And, and First thing I'd like to do is first of all, thank you for today. Um, that was great. Some great questions in there. So I really enjoyed um, uh, being part of that discussion. Uh, and then to thank you as well for uh, hosting this uh, session, as, as you said, at the very start for two and a half years. That's quite a long time uh, to, to, to be front and centre on something like this. So, you know, absolutely fantastic. You, you've done a brilliant job. And if, if people listening haven't listened to some of the previous uh, sessions of Tom's, you, you, should, you should listen back. It's, it's a catalogue of really useful insight. So I really uh, commend that, but thanks, Tom, that you've been absolutely brilliant. Um, so, so I want to continue uh, Tom's legacy, really, take, take it forward. Uh, in the first year, we, uh, the first few months of next year, we're lining up um, the chief executive and AHSN to help us understand a bit better how we might uh, look at the adoption and spread and innovation in a broader sense. 
uh, and also looking for a senior leader who's um, key in affecting uh, NHS policy, particularly around uh, e the economic uh, space and how uh, we drive the fourth objective of the ICS, which is about the NHS's role in economic growth. So we'll be bringing those two uh, in the uh, next year, uh, probably um, February and March, I think, by the time we, we get that. Uh, drawn together. Very happy, of course, to get ideas from others who you think might be useful to listen to. Um, but but that's our uh, that's our plan for uh, the next year. Um, I just want to wrap up by thanking everybody today who joined the call. Everybody who's um, uh, been a, a lifelong member of the NHS Whispers podcast, which is fantastic to see your con continual support, which is brilliant. Uh, thank you, new members who joined today. Hopefully, you will join us again next time. Um, and just want to say thanks very much uh, for today and hope you have a good rest of the day uh, and a good weekend when you get to it. Thank you. Thank you for watching. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we could support your market access goals, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk or visit our website at mtechaccess.co.uk.